Hell, Manhattan at your feet, I can see the appeal. The view's okay. Now, this is my favorite part of the store. Hey there, Missy. Haven't seen you in a while. How did they get the penthouse? They patrol. It's the only way to make sure there isn't anyone hiding in the store at night. Well, they know I'm with you, right? These two are Carla and Leona. Not the originals, but third generation. And what every generation of Mencken dogs shall be named until the end of time. I made my father's legal counsel add that to the store's bylaws when I was nine. So even then you enjoyed telling men what to do? To be fair, the store was practically home. My father liked to work. I used to come out here and talk to them, well, the originals, every night. For a little girl, dog can be all you need. They protect you, they listen. I had my sister, but there weren't other kids, and of course my mother wasn't around. Well, that's always a bad thing. Who knows? She died when she was having me. Anyway, my sister became my only company, and frankly, these bitches were easier to handle. What is this? Don't try to convince me that you were ever unloved. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of A Thing Like That, a podcast where all we do is talk about every episode of Mad Men. As usual, I'm your host, Mike Levito. And I'm your host, Kathleen Levito. And we're going to talk about Season 1, Episode 3, Marriage of Figaro. Kathleen, what do you think about this episode? I enjoyed this episode. I yeah. do believe I looked at you after we finished watching and was just like, wow, I'm a little shook. Do you heard <laughs> that Michael used? <laughs> to describe Cold War, which if you haven't seen, is a very shaking movie. <laughs> uh, I was just like, this, is, this, this episode is very impressive, just how it weaves themes and messages and other words for those things just in and out very just smoothly and i think it was like cinematically one of the more interesting episodes yeah i think you could make an argument this is like the first great Mad Men episode yeah it's it's really good and i think does a really good job of uh conveying of of you know the first episodes like lay out you know all the characters and themes and stuff but this one actually sort of like synthesizes them and turns them into something sort of uh, meaningful and cohesive and uh, yeah, yeah, satisfying. Okay, we ready to talk about what happened in the episode? Let's talk about Hopefully, what this the synopsis is shorter than the others. But we open up with Don on a train riding from his quiet suburban home of Austining into his busy Manhattan office. And a guy who's selling insurance recognizes him on the train. And he refers to him, though, not as Don Draper, but as Dick Whitman. And seems to imply that they know each other from serving in the military. And Don's kind of shook by this, it seems. And this guy just kind of leaves him his business card and says, Hey, call me if you get the chance. Meanwhile, back at Sterling Cooper, Pete is back from his honeymoon. And the guys want all the details on what happens. But Pete says, Nah, I'm happily married. And I, you know, kind of got to know my wife and I like her a lot more, so I'm going to kind of, you know, 
It's going to try and, and rise above all of you sort of, uh, you know, I don't know how to describe bachelors, I guess. Um, meanwhile, they, in a sort of not very mature uh, manner, have hired a Chinese family to live in his office as what was considered a prank back in the day. I don't really know. Um, after that, there's a meeting to discuss the C-Core Laxatives account, which turns into an argument about the famous lemonade by BMW, um, which Don is actually reading on his way into New York, and Don thinks it's silly, he doesn't like the self-deprecating humor in it, but everyone else thinks it's great, and thinks they should use similar self-deprecating humor to sell laxatives. Um, Pete arrives late, um, but while because he arrives late, he runs into Peggy, and Peggy's sort of, you know... The last time they saw each other, they were spending the night together, and Pete explains that this was a one-time thing because he's married now, and that was the night before my bachelor party, and she's like, yeah, okay, I totally get it. Meanwhile, after the sequel leading, Pete tries to smooth Don, whose cufflink breaks, and Pete says, hey, you know, me, you, me, and the wives should get dinner sometime, Don's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, meanwhile, the women in the office are all discussing Lady Chatterley's Lover, the sort of new saucy novel that's been released around the water cooler. Um, they're like, oh, Peggy, you wouldn't like it. It's too, you know, too mature for you. But she's like, no, she just kind of grabs the book from Jones. Like, I definitely want to read this. Um, meanwhile, uh, there's later a meeting with Mangan's department store, uh, where they, Starling Cooper presents research on, you know, how the big department stores are configured. And Rachel says, this is great and all, but my department store already does all of this. So it makes me think that none of you have been to my store. And Don's like, I can assure you that we have not. But I will remedy that this afternoon. His cufflink breaks again. Uh, they kind of share a moment uh, as Rachel begins to leave, joking about the chicken from the Chinese family still running around the office. Don calls him a junior associate. Um, meanwhile, Pete and Harry sort of trade to Pete's office. Pete's on the phone with his wife. She says he'll have dinner ready when he gets back, and he's very stoked about this. And they kind of discuss the ways married men have to navigate their relations with women in the office. Um, so, you know, and that leaves such an effect on Pete that he actually turns out an invitation to go out with everyone else in the office and just like, hey, I'll go home to Trudy. Uh, meanwhile, after that, Don gets a tour of Mencken's. Uh, Rachel buys some uh, knight in shining armor cufflinks. They go to the roof where she introduces him to the dogs that guard the department store. Um, they kiss. He's like, hey, I'm married. She's like, oh, yeah, I didn't want to know. I was afraid, too afraid to ask. And he's like, yeah. And she's kind of like, well, I can't really do this if you're married. And he's like, are you sure? And she's like, yeah. And also, please get off the account and find somebody to explain why. And he's like, oh, okay. Takes a dreary train ride home. The next day is Sally's birthday party. They got her a playhouse for her birthday party, Don, Don and Pe- uh, not Peggy, Betty did. And Don goes out to build it, but he can't build it without having, like, five beers first. <laughs> um... After he's done building it, a bunch of guests come in, including Helen Bishop, the new person who just moved into Austin, who just happens to be a single divorced mother, and her son, Glenn. Um, You know, she's sort of ogled by the men. She's sort of leered at by the women. Uh, They, they, you know, and and the two genders kind of separate, right? The men are kind of drinking and talking about whatever, whereas the women are asking Helen about her single life, basically, right? How she makes time to work and to take care of her children. It's a very kind of hostile environment. She commits a lot of faux pas, like she brings a, a present that's wrapped in Christmas paper because she didn't have any other paper because they had just moved. She gets interrogated by these women, um, and she gets approached by Carlton, Francine's husband, and she kind of expertly um, brushes him off. Uh, 
And meanwhile, Don is filming all of this on his home camcorder, sort of catching, you know, some kids just being kids. He catches the darlings in an intimate moment. Um, and it, it fills him with a sense of emptiness. Or maybe it's just the alcohol. Who knows? Don watches the kids play house outside. Helen comes out to join him, which bothers Betty. And she reminds Don to please get the cake from High Top, the cake for Sally's birthday, of course. Um, Ernie knocks over a glass and he gets slapped and is told to get his mother to clean up the drink. Don drives to pick up the cake, but as he is going to pull into his driveway, he just keeps on driving. Betty calls the bakery to find out what the deal is, and they say the cake's been picked up. So Helen offers to bring a cake from her house to have instead. Betty's hands go numb as she tries to cut it. I didn't notice that at first. Um, Meanwhile, Don just kind of parks in front of the railroad tracks and watches the train as it goes by. Eventually, he comes home drunk with a dog he got Sally for her birthday, and Betty doesn't know what to say. I feel like those were so short from last time, right? Yeah, shorter. Working down. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, the theme of this episode is... Domesticity. Domesticity. Why is it domesticity, Kathleen? Um, we get to see um, just a lot of different characters' reactions to domesticity, the way that they live it, um, the, the kind of male take on it versus the female take on it versus um, not, what is the word, um, outliers of those two groups, Pete being the outlier for the men, um, Helen being the outlier for the women, and there's a lot of just like subtle hints about it throughout the episode, uh, building the playhouse and things such as that. Yes. Yeah, um, it's really mentioned in the first scene. Donald's approached by the guy on the train. He looks at him and he goes, ah, you haven't filled out yet, but you must not be married. And Donald's like, no, actually I have. And maybe that implies there's some sort of unsatisfying, he doesn't feel nourished by his marriage because mm-hmm. he's still in good shape, I guess. Maybe that's warped reasoning, but... Or also, <laughs> um, the idea that he's he's still on the prowl, right? It's like, yeah, why would you stay yeah. in good shape? Because you're trying to attract someone. True. Um, so it's showing that, like, he... Is still trying for something. True, true. Um, and when Pete gets back to the office, you know, people are being very friendly with him, probably because they're waiting to see his reaction for the Chinese family living in his office. But uh, someone, I believe Ken mentions, like, hey, the ring is like catnip, right? You actually all of a sudden become more attractive to women because you become unattainable when you're married. Um, which is, you know, kind of defeats the purpose of domesticity and being married in the first place. Um, and there is literally a family, a domestic unit, who moves into Pete's office, right? It's, it's beginning to invade his all aspects of his life, including his professional life. Um, of course, there's the moment between Pete and Peggy where he's like, hey, I'm married, now things have changed, right? This is a paradigm shift for him. And he actually seems to really love the idea of being married. He's very excited to go home to Trudy, who's made him something uh, for dinner. He's going to have a waiter for him. He just loves that idea, right? And Harry is kind of happy with it too, right? And they they literally just discuss what it's like to be a married man and have to interact with women all day. Um, and they do mention, too, they, although they are very happy with it, they do mention Harry kind of gives the hint of, like, you can flirt, but nothing else. Exactly, right, right. It's it's sort of a, in that sense, it's almost like an unnatural constraint, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of a condition. It's 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 not a, their lives haven't sort of just changed. They've, they've, been, they've been tampered down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the book that the women all discuss later, Chattersley, Chattersley Lovers, about two married people who are in a really, who are, you know, in an illicit affair with each other, right? So it's that, 
idea of the, those bonds being violated, which is, becomes a really big running theme throughout the rest of the show. Um, Pete says, hey, you, me, and the wife should get dinner sometime, which, you know, it's, it's, Pete is now, he's one of the merry associates. Now, right, he's not going out after for drinks with everyone else. He has to, with his boss, you know, go with their wives and all of that. He's an adult now. And then if you notice, uh, Don is not super thrilled. Partially because he's not a fan of Pete. Right, Let's right. be real here. Yeah. Partially, mm. it's that him just like, I don't yeah. really do that domestic thing. Yeah. Joan mentioned that she has a large pocketbook because she keeps a toothbrush and a change of clothes in it, obviously, if she spends the night at someone else's apartment. But it's really just kind of a house built into her, right? There's sort of a, a promise in there, right? There's, there's intimacy to keeping a toothbrush somewhere, right? Um, but she has to keep walking around with her, right? She's kind of itinerant in that regard, emotionally and romantically. Um, there are a number of jokes told at wives' expenses at, in this. Um, Harry tells a joke about a doctor who is a mosh man and says, you know, I hope you had a good game of golf because you're, you know, your wife has been paralyzed in this terrible accident. You have to clothe her and feed her and bathe her and all this. And he goes, no, nah, I'm just kidding. How'd you shoot? And then also at the party, there is a, a guy who tells a joke, he goes, hey, um, your, wi- your wife and your lawyer are drowning. You have a decision to make to get lunch or go to a movie. And everybody laughs, right? There's this sort of like... Except the women. Except the women, right? <laughs> they all think it's terrible. There's these snipes taken at domesticity and it's kind of like mocked and made fun of and women are considered like, you know, the stereotypical ball and chain. Yeah. yeah. Um, Rachel, it's kind of interesting, right? She talks about how she really never had a home. She refers to the the department store as home. Her mother died when she in childbirth, I think, if I recall yeah. correctly. Um, and so that was her home. She refers to it as her closet. She changes her outfit the time Don sees her for the second time, right? And her favorite floor of the store is the bedroom. But Don actually finds that the most boring part of the floor. Um, and when she introduces it to her dogs, like the dogs are her family, right? She was raised by she was raised by wolves, but she like kind of was the way she talks about it's it. It's like the most consistent part, exactly. Consistent um, companionship she had, yeah. And yeah. despite the fact that, I mean, they're dogs, so they eventually died in her lifetime. But she names all of the dogs the same thing, right? Right. So it's almost like an illusion of domesticity she's trying to keep up, yeah. right? There's something about that that's appealing to her and draws her, and it's secure for her, but for Don. It's restrictive, and that's also reflected once they decide they can't see each other because he is married, right? He's happy when he's with Rachel, but this all of a sudden is becoming an obstacle to his happiness. That's further reflected in the train when he's going back to Austining. Going into Manhattan, it was bright, shiny, modern. Going out, it was the lights are flickering, it's dirty, the there's patches in the in the chair in the yeah, the seats. You know, it, it's a it's a much different feeling going into it. And also Betty. She seems to like domestic life a lot. She's kind of the perfect domestic yeah. person, right? She's just making all these great snacks. She's making all these fun drinks. She's got everything organized. I remember um, watching this movie for the first, not movie, sorry, episode for the first time. And she's describing what she's making. She's like, oh, we have chicken salad. We have celeries with cream cheese. And I was like, this is what we ate in It's just like peanut butter and jellies for the kids. Yeah. But that's interesting, right? So when Helen Bishop comes over with Glenn, and you know Helen is sort of talking to all the adults, and Glenn is just kind of standing there. Don goes, "Oh, I think we have you know peanut butter and jelly and a BB gun for you outside, right?" It's Don is trying to shepherd this young man away from the domesticity into like you know the manliness of a BB gun, mm-hmm. right? He's trying to shove him into the great outdoors and into you know masculinity. Um, I think as we're talking about Betty, just to rewind for a second, um, we see. 
Don has his confrontation with Rachel where he tells her he's married and that kind of falls apart. Don rides back on the train very sad um, back home. And then the next morning he wakes up and we see Betty um, in a white dress, like cleaning the bedroom or something. Mm. Um, I think drawing the shades back and the wedding dress, like the white dress being purity, being a wedding dress, Mm -hmm. being that, you know, she has not corrupted the relationship at all. She's still there with the vows. She changes later. Yeah, it's true. Um, Heavy party ready, you know. Yeah. Of course, I mean, the very heavy-handed novel, if you think about it, imagery of Don building a house and being completely disinterested in it. Yeah, um, the playhouse, that is. Yeah, the playhouse. And then the kids are playing house, right? Like, the kids have seen images of Missy all his life, and they're trying to replicate it, too. And Don looks at them kind of despairingly. Yeah, and when the kids are playing house, you hear some of their dialogue, and it's something about, like, the, a girl telling the boy to sleep on the couch. Mm-hmm. And there was another comment yeah. I forget what it was, but it was something very stereotypical, mm-hmm. like you would hear in a, like a sitcom. Yeah. Um, and then um, Helen comes out and she's just like, what did she say? Like some company inside? Yeah, she's, yeah, she's like, that's... Um, Strange company. Yeah, yeah, something like that. And then Don's just like, oh, it's the same out here. Yeah, yeah. And just, you know, Don sees the parallelism, he sees the futures, and he's just like, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, when Don is looking at the train going, I was reading um, in Matt Zorzaitz's book, and he mentions that, like, oh, he was, like, contemplating killing himself. That's what I took it as. That's interesting, because I didn't. Yeah. Which, it it makes a lot more sense, but I think it sort of serves a double purpose, where he's he's watching the train go where he wants to go. He's watching it go to Manhattan, and he's sort of just like, man, it'd be so great if I could just leave and get on that now. It's kind of how I read it. But... I think this is, I think, And I think if you take it as in, like, going to Manhattan is killing his domestic life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if he were to actually kill himself, he'd be free from that as well. Yeah. So I think although they're two different options, mm-hmm. they have a similar motivation. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, the cat just jumped on the back of my chair. Um, one thing I always found interesting about Don's, you know, home life is that he does seem to love his kids a lot. Which is so sweet. Right. He's such... A, when we get to the end of this the series, I have many things to say. Right. But it is very sweet. Right. But it's interesting because it doesn't preclude him from making very bad decisions. Yeah. And he does put himself first in a lot of instances, I think. But he does love his kids. And when he brings the dog home for Sally, that feels like him trying to give her the kind of security Rachel was talking about, right? Yeah. Rachel had a dog when she was young. He wants... Sally to have that same kind of, you know, bond with, with the living yeah. thing. It's 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 all he can do to provide that sense of security and, and homeliness. Yeah. And it's in a way it's kind of I don't know if this is the motivation behind the move, but Don is clearly the like the more masculine, more powerful, more security because that Betty is definitely not bringing any structure and security to the home. No. So Don We don't really know that that. We don't know that yet though. Yes. Well, she in the first few episodes she appears very yeah. um, quiet, soft spoken, dainty, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, in a way, it's like Don is like, if I am not here, you have this creature who is known mm-hmm. for being, you know, protecting and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, if you think about it, I think this is not this is not a spoiler alert, but it's like if Don is seeing the future for his children and he wants um, 
he's looking for his daughter Sally to be more independent and Rachel I think so far is really the only female that we see who is like very independent Mm -hmm. you can argue Joan but Joan definitely like her independence centers around what she can do to men yeah where Rachel is just her independence is her career is her life like she's very removed from that she has more structures Mm -hmm. um and it's like bringing an aspect of her that life into Sally's life to maybe encourage her to build that herself And we see Rachel sort of, like, project the idea that um, it almost seems like Don, not not only is he trying to sort of, like, create Sally as this independent person, right? But he's also trying to live up to an image that Rachel seemed to have for him, right? Mm-hmm. Because when she's picking out cufflinks for him, she picks the, the knight in shining armor, yeah. right? Chivalrous, you know, protective, just, you know, this sort of valiant warrior, right? And it kind of goes back to what happened in the episode before this where they ask the question, what do women want? And Rachel gives really the only indication of that. Well, not the only indication, but she gives a indication, right? She literally says, ah, this is what I'd like to have, you know, I think you should you should have. Um, even though Don says, I was, raised to, I was raised that men shouldn't wear jewelry, right? And that um, the other sort of like, this is like a, a, a thing I forgot to add in earlier, but when he is building the playhouse and he goes to wash his hands, he goes into the powder room, which is sort of for the yes, it's all very dainty and pink and things, and he's sweaty and grimy and stuff, he doesn't want to touch anything in there, and Betty asks him, tells him not to touch anything in there, so he's just like, oh my god, like, I'm a simple kid from, I'm going to remember where he's from, but, you know, he's he's not from, uh, you know, the uh, he's not from the fancy Northeast, right? Yeah. Um, and he, uh, it, it's, it's just so antithetical to how he sees himself and how he wants to live. Yeah. For, like, all intents and purposes, he's still a bachelor. Yeah. You know, and he's yeah. living that very stripped-down bachelor life. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Their house, honestly, this is a total non-sequitur. It's not cute. I guess that's, <laughs> like, what people have people style their houses. Mm-hmm. Um, like, 50s, early 60s. But it's just not cute. Yeah, yeah. In my opinion. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's very loud patterns. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, that's that. Yeah. Um, another thing about the party, um, you see the men, the women, all the women are wearing dresses except Helen, who was mm-hmm. the divorcee. She comes in wearing pants. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just a little fun fact. Yeah. I feel like Helen, the thing about Helen's episode, kind of a badass, right? She yeah. goes straight into this sort of like pit of vipers, like very confidently. Mm-hmm. She's not really shaken at all by their comments. Like, and they're, they're very clearly like, oh, she mentions the honeymoon she took and she's like, oh Yeah. I love it even though I went with Glenn's father and they're like, oh, is that your ex-husband? Oh, sorry. Like, oh, it must be hard to do this. It must be hard to do that. And it's like very sort of, you know, disingenuous sort of comments yeah. being made. And you see Helen being a provider yeah. too in the sense that, well, one, she, you know, she's more like, I feel like the men are more mobile mm. um, in the party. They kind of move around more. They talk to more people. Yeah. Um, and she is also, she talks to both the women and the men in the party, even though she's being leered at by the men. Mm-hmm. She still kind of has that duality. She goes outside to be with Dawn. So she's by the children. The women right. are very much like, do not get the children near me kind mm-hmm. of situation. Um, she also is the one who ends up bringing the cake. And Dawn was yeah. supposed to bring the cake. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I can provide the cake. Yeah, yeah. She yeah. ends up really eclipsing Dawn as a provider. Yeah. Um, and then when she, when she's approached by Carlton, he's like, oh, you know, I know if you ever need someone to throw around the ball of Glenn or, you know, 
you know, go to the beach with you all or whatever, which is very forward. Yeah. And he's kind of promising this idea of domesticity. And then she kind of like throws it back in his face, like narrating a future where it's like, oh, we take them home and put them to bed and we laugh and laugh. It's like, hey, don't get the wrong idea. She's like, oh, sorry. Like, you know, yeah. as if she was the one who had the wrong idea. Um, I think, uh, I think those are the themes. Yeah. I'm trying to think how that ends with the dog coming in. Mm-hmm. I think one of the saddest moments in television is watching Betty cut that cake <laughs> over to her hands. I guess her hands did go numb. Yeah. I took it as just, it's like a frozen cake. So it was right. to cut. Yeah. I didn't notice that until I read the, the Mad Solar Yeah. Book, but so. especially because just it's Betty. And mm-hmm. by now we even know that Betty is, wants mm-hmm. everything to be ideal. Mm-hmm. Everything was laid out so intricately on the plate, um, with the plates, the other food. She had a cake made at a bakery mm-hmm. and said she was cutting the sad little cake. Yeah. Yeah. Betty Crocker cake. It was a Sarah Lee cake, actually. Sarah Lee cake. But your program might not have even been a thing back then. I don't know. I have no clue. Yeah. All right. Ready to hand out our awards? Yeah, let's hand out our awards. Okay. So our Pete Campbell Award for Worst of the Week. Who do you have? Don. Yeah, I think it's got to be Don. <laughs> he uh He's just pretty derelict in all of his duties in yeah. this. He, um... You know, he. We're, we're going to see him cheat on his on Betty and his other significant others with a lot of people over the course of this show. Um, so, sim, he, him seeing kiss Rachel, it's not like a huge surprise. We've already seen him with Midge, um, but it's more the his his sort of complete disinterest in his family, really. Yeah. And he basically abandons them. He doesn't even bring the cake. Like it's it's a cake, and it's like it's it's more for your daughter than it's for your wife. Yeah. Like what what the heck? Man, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. And the sad part of that, too, is, like, the kids always get so excited when he comes home, mm-hmm. and he just doesn't want to be there so badly, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a bummer. Definitely a bummer. All right. Um, a Roger, so I've realized there aren't a lot of Roger, Roger Sterling's best lines of the week in the first few episodes, because... Roger Sterling's not in the episodes that often, yeah. and he provides all of the best lines. Yeah. But the best line I have, just because I like it, is from Harry Crane, and he and Pete are talking about Don Draper, and they're saying how in the meeting they saw him, you know, flirt with Rachel, ter- flip on that switch to, like, sort of seduce a client, both literally and figuratively. Um, and Pete's like, yeah, I've never seen that. I wonder what his deal is. And Harry goes, Draper? Who knows anything about that guy? No one's ever lifted that rock. He could be Batman, for all we know. Yeah. All right. We ready to move on to the spoilers, the foreshadowing? Alright, let's do it. Any any that you wanna hit on real quick first while I pull up my document? Um I feel like no. <laughs> <laughs> I like there weren't as many spoilers that jumped out to me in this episode. It's true. I have a couple, though. Okay. Um, so, first of all, Pete, uh, when he's asking, you know, he says, hey, we and the wife should get dinner sometime. They will, in fact, um, get dinner. He, he, Don, and their respective wives. But Betty will not be there because by that point, Don will be married to Megan. I don't even remember that. It's the episode where they go to Pete's house. It's a really good episode. It's mostly about Pete. It's the same one where he's taking, like, the driving classes. 
Is that when he's listening to the record player? Yes. I thought that was Ken's house. No, it's Pete's house. Okay. But Ken's there with his, I guess, his fiance at the yeah. time. Um, so that does, in fact, end up happening. And Don hates it. He, he says, <laughs> he intentionally gets drunk before they go there, before driving all the way to Connecticut. Excuse me. Um, the guy who presents the research to Rachel Mankin is British, and she's like, ah, oh, you're British. And uh, someone's just like, oh, yeah, we have experience with people on the other side of the pond, blah, blah, blah. They will have a lot of experience with the other side of the pond when they end up getting bought by the British company whose name escapes me. Yeah. Um, I was going to say Pearson Spectre, but that's the, the um, That's from Suits. Suits. Yeah. Um, I should really know what it's called. I feel like it's bad that I don't remember all these people's names. There's but, a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I'm not even about looking it up. Anyway, if you've seen the show, you know what I'm talking about. Um, Harry makes reference to enjoying the company of women any way he can. Um, even though he starts out as sort of a very faithful husband and kind of just like a regular dude, he becomes way more lecherous and creepy as the show goes yeah. on. Um, oh, this is a good one. So uh, when they're discussing the lemonade, every well, you know, it's Don and Roger and Sal and Paul and all that. Um, they're talking about the ad and, and the ad's made by a company uh, run by a guy named Bernbach. And Roger Sterling goes, <clears throat> Bernbach, he's a Jew. If I were him, I would want to help reindustrialize Germany. And of course, that will kind of come back, these holding old grudges against World War mm-hmm. II enemies um, later on in the season when they pursue a contract with Honda, which is of course a Japanese company, and Roger, a naval veteran who fought in the South Pacific, isn't super stoked about that. Yeah, he's... Has a lot of prejudices. He does, yeah. Which, I mean, if I was a soldier in the South Pacific, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense for what he went through. Right. Um, it's just interesting because I think his character is very... He's, like, the most go-with-the-flow, I feel like, yeah. of the characters, and he's the most lighthearted. Mm. Um, but it's when you see that, it's just like... Oh, yeah. So it's kind of jarring. It is. It is very... And it's disappointing because, you know, even though you know he's kind of a creep, like, you, you want to like him. Yeah. Um... And, you know, the female episode is just kind of like, hey, get over it. Which, like, yeah, get over it. They're our friends now. Um, Don, you know, it shows him struggling to build this house. It's ironic because he ends up being very handy the rest of the show. Like, that becomes a theme. Um, They all have mint juleps. And later on in the season, uh, series rather, uh, they will end up going to, like, Rogers Country Club for the Kentucky Derby, where they all drink mint juleps. Um, Betty mentions that she's been to Italy. And later on, in sort of like a very important moment for Don and Betty's relationship, they will go on a trip to Italy um, to stay at a Hilton, Mm -hmm. the one who's working for Hilton. Um, And it's sort of like seen as like, ah, they're going to save the relationship now, but it it doesn't really pan out. And of course, the woman talked a lot about how Helen works. Francine will be the first to get a job. Actually, Francine talks about how Helen works. She'll be the first to get a job. It seems evolved. Betty's friend, she becomes, I think, a realtor. I think so. Or a travel agent. Something like that. I think that. she's a travel agent. Yeah, yeah. Takes Betty a, a, a little bit of time to, to catch up then. And even then. And it doesn't evolve. It doesn't she, she, Yeah, no. Okay. All right. That's it for spoilers. Um... Any, any any final points on this episode? We, we blew through this pretty quick because yeah. I didn't have an hour long synopsis to give out. But I don't. I still really like this episode. I yeah. think so far my favorite that we've rewatched. Yeah, we've rewatched three. Yeah. 
And just, I, I said in the first episode that, like, oh, you know, this, this show doesn't really do a lot cin- cinematically that, like, is, you know, super special, but it's all about the story and the characters. But, like, I'm kind of eating crow because this episode is, the, the moment with the camera as he's sort yeah. of, like, looking at these domestic scenes and it goes back to him and it, it, it's shown through, like, the film stock and the, and the color palette of the sort of, you know, very basic camcorder. It's really powerful and yeah. it's really cool the way they did that. And I remember watching that for the first time being, like, taken aback and just yeah. being like, wow, this is really, like, beautiful and special. Yeah. And it has, like, it was, <laughs> this is going to sound so cheesy, but, like, Lana Del Rey has made her <laughs> um, whole, like, career built on that touch of nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's, like, if you, you know, look at how pe- people follow her and, like, honestly worship her because of her aesthetic, it's, like, people love that sense of nostalgia and mm-hmm. that, like, kind of quiet yearning that just that now, now like, um, kind of imparts in us, that, mm-hmm. that imagery of that silent camcorder. And it's... And it does the same thing, not yeah. any, like, dramatic lyrics in the background. Mm-hmm. But it's that feeling of, like, simplicity and innocence and, you know, this this quiet, simple time. Yeah, yeah. It, it adds sort of, like, a dose of glamour to everything, yeah. right? Like, it's it's sort of gauzy and it doesn't really... It, it's not detailed enough. It's not like HD television, right? Yeah. You can't show all your perfection straight up. So there there's a, a degree of sheen. It makes yeah. everything look sort of, like... It's it's almost like you're literally wearing rose colored glasses yeah. when you look back on it, um, which of course contrasts with Dawn's sort of attitude towards it all, right? Okay, all right. I think we did it. Yeah, I think we did too. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Um, they're not. I mean, as I say this, this show is not on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, but hopefully by the time you listen to it, it will be. So follow us on all those. Listen to our other podcast, The Real Life Oscar Challenge. It is on, in fact, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. This will be on SoundCloud, too. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, at Amorvito, and I'm on Letterboxd at Ameramike. And you can follow me on Instagram, at Rise to the Sun. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you don't drive any lemons. I can't come up with a good way to end this this podcast. Like... You know what I mean? I can't. I don't know how to end episodes. No, we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out. But uh, yeah, thanks for listening, and please listen next time. I guess I don't know. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>